wanted to thank Drew for last week filling in, uh, teaching on the temptation of Jesus. I was able to listen to that on the podcast. He did a great job, although I noticed, and he said this on the podcast, that he was not going to do the motions with you guys. Now, that's disappointing, all right? And he will be, he will be rebuked, and, and church discipline will be exercised on him at the next, now there he is, at the next elder meeting. Uh, and uh, basically, that means that this week we're going to have to do it twice, okay? So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, that's, uh, and, and ultimately, I think he was shying away from the fact that it takes a real man to stand up in front of you all and do this, okay? It just, right? Am I right? That's right. Okay. Thanks, Mom. Um, all right, so... Here is, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through this story and these motions that Drew hates or just um, intended to help us remember the storyline. And so, if you will, with me, the motions. We've got God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, patriarchs, exodus, law, conquest, judges, Kingdom, divided, exile, return, silence, and Jesus. Very good. You guys are getting it down. It's only taken eight months. All right, so have you ever asked yourself, we kind of step back and look at what we're doing here from sort of a meta level and just ask yourself, church, why? What's the point? Like, why do we come here week after week after week, and you're kind of looking at your spouse, like, that's a great question. Why do we listen to him every week? Um, what, what are we, you know, what are we doing here? What is the, what is the ultimate purpose of, of church? Like, why do we do this on Sunday mornings, and, and for some of us, Wednesday nights, and home groups, and what, where is all of this heading? And we kind of have to ask that question, don't we, to step back and say, why do we do this? Because if we just simply see this as coming to an 11 o'clock service once a week after week after week after week until we die, that's sort of depressing, right? That's, that's kind of small. And I don't think that's God's grand plan and purpose for us as his body. And so we're going to, and we're actually in January, we're going to talk about, we're going to launch into a series uh, talking about the purpose of the church. Uh, the, the church capital C, like his, his worldwide church, but then also specifically our purpose as Peninsula Grace Brethren Church. And I'm excited to, to jump into that next year. But for this morning, what we're going to see, and this is incredible, we're going to see Jesus, Jesus, who is our king, who, who's the head of this church, and therefore he gets to tell us what our purpose is. We don't get to tell Jesus what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. We're going to hear from Jesus as he, as he starts, as he kind of launches into his mission here on earth. We're going to see why he came to this earth, what he got going, and what he's called us to continue. So we're going to look at this together. And what we're going to see this morning is Jesus' message, what it is that he spoke to the, to the world, and his mission, what he came to do, and then his method, how he did what he had set out to do. And so first we look at Jesus' message. You look at Mark chapter 1. Now, remember, Jesus has been baptized, which was kind of his coming out party. It was his coronation. When the Father says from heaven, this is the one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. And then we saw last week, as Drew walked us through the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and I love the rich symbolism there. You go all the way back to creation. And Adam and Eve, when Satan tempted them, By twisting God's words, they fell and sin entered into the world. 
But the second Adam, the last Adam, came to this earth, and Satan tried to do the same thing, play the same game, twist God's words. And what did Jesus come back with every time? It is written. You're lying. That's not the truth. And the second Adam came and lived the perfect life that the first Adam and that you and I never could. And so he overcame temptation, showing this is the perfect son of God who's come to conquer Satan, to conquer sin, to conquer death. And so now he comes, and and now that he's being launched into this ministry, what's his message? What has he come to tell the world? And in Mark 1, it says later on, after the temptation, here it is. Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. Now, Now here's the good news. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. Everything that the prophets had pointed toward by the word of God, it's happening right now. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So Jesus' message here, it's in two parts. And the first thing he says, and this is consistent with John the Baptist's message that came before him, he says the kingdom of God is near. Now, we're going to look in a couple of weeks, we're going to look closer at what the kingdom of God was and what it meant. But for now, the most succinct way I think I can say it is back to creation, okay, our second motion. God's original intent was to be the king right? He's the king of the universe. He's the king of this world. And then he creates Adam and Eve. He creates man. And our purpose is to, to reflect his image and, and to go out into this world and, and, and rule and reign with him. He gave man this unique privilege. He said, multiply, make a bunch of babies, go out and fill this world, subdue it, and rule and reign with me. But then what did we do? Instead of stepping into that privilege as image bearers, as rulers and reigners with Jesus, sin came into the world. And man said, no, I don't want to rule with the king. I want to be the king. And so, so the whole thing takes a, a different direction. And what we see come in is because of, because of what our sin did, the second part of the message is necessary. He says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Kingdom's coming, but you need to repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, the good news here, uh, this word, is the same word as gospel. Okay? In the Greek, it's evangelion, which is an English way of saying that word. But um, the, the word you see there, it's, it's the word evangelize or evangelism. And we'll see that come out later this morning. And, and what he says is there's, there's good news. And, and, and in their culture, good news wasn't just like the daily news. It was always associated with the, the coronation of a king. So he's saying there's good news to announce. Tell everybody that the king has come. The king has come. He's come to this earth. And Jesus says you need to repent of your sins. Admit that you're a sinner. That you're not the king. That there is one king and the king has come to this earth. And he's come to save you from your sin. And to reestablish that kingdom that he originally intended back in creation. So this is his message. This is his message, but what did he come to do? What's his mission? Number two. On the surface, I think the most succinct way I can put it is this. Luke 19.10. He says, the Son of Man came. This is why he came. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus is on a mission. It's a search and a rescue to come for those who are lost, those who have sinned, those who attempted to claim the crown. But I think there's a step deeper here that I want us to look at, and what I think is the most beautiful, is the coolest chapter in the Bible. I don't know if I'm allowed to have favorites when it comes to the Bible, but, but I do. And this is in John 17. It's at the end of Jesus' work here on earth. And it's this prayer. Jesus is in the garden, and he's about to die. And he's talking 
to, to God. So you have the Son of God praying, speaking to, to God the Father. There's, there is no more sacred space than that. And, and Jesus, as he's there, he says in John 17, 1, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Now, this is incredible. We could spend weeks and months just on, on, on this idea. But what he says is, he says, glorify me so, so that I can, I can glorify you. Now, we've got to do some work here. What does it mean to glorify? This is a word that kind of gets lost or reduced to just like praise songs on a Sunday morning. The word glorify, I love this definition, is to go public, to, to, to announce, to shout it from the rooftops, the greatness of someone or something. So it's to take something that's good and it is to spread the news of it. So like if I am going to glorify the greatness of George Martin, right? I'm going to tell the world how handsome he is, right? How, how, man, he can procreate with the best of them. He's got offspring everywhere, right? He can, he can fall asleep in a sermon in two seconds flat, right? He's not even here. He's probably, he's probably laying down in the back somewhere, man. All right, all right, whatever. And I just tell the world how, how great he is. And what, what Jesus is saying here is he says, tell, glorify me. Tell the world how great I am as Savior, as Lord, as life, so that, and look at why he says, make, tell everyone about my greatness. Why? So I can give glory back to you. Ultimately, he says, show the world through my death and resurrection how beautiful, how wonderful I am and my love for this world is. Why? So that I can give it all back to the Father because he's the one that sent me. He's the one that's good. He's the only one that's good. He is the God of all grace and mercy. How great is our God? So he says, show how great I am so I can show the world how great you are. So Jesus came. His, his message is the kingdom is near. His message is the kingdom is near and that you need to repent and believe this good news. This good news that I've come into the world. And what have I come to do? I've come to show the world how great my God is by seeking and saving those who are lost so that they might glorify me as Savior and him as the sender of that Savior. But here's the question. How does God do that? How does, how does he, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, but what's his message? Or what's his mission? Sorry, how is he gonna, how is he gonna establish this kingdom and it might not be in the way that you and I would do it. Like, if, if, if I'm going to come to earth and establish a kingdom, okay, this, this is how I might go about it. I might come to earth and, you know, get involved in politics at a young age, right? Get some political elbow room. Get, get to, you know, get to know the right people. I'm going to start to develop my brand, right? Get a bunch of Twitter followers, right? I'm going to try to get in there. I, I've got to get in the right place, try to cl- climb the kingly ladder, I'm going to try to muster an army up because they're thinking, okay, we're going to, we got these Romans who are oppressing us. We got to kick them out. So I've got to get some muscle. I've got to get some clout. That's probably how I would be thinking if I was going to establish a kingdom on earth. But what we're going to see with Jesus, and just like he came down in the most upside down sort of way, he came humbly as a baby in a manger, born to two broke peasants, Nowheresville, and the first messengers of this good news were some lowly shepherds. And just in that way, Jesus is going to come down to establish this upside-down kingdom in the most upside-down way possible. Look at Mark chapter 1. Here's his method. So Jesus, who's going to establish this kingdom, this is what he does. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, so how does he start? He takes a walk on the beach. 
This is how he starts his kingdom. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. And going on a little further, so now he's got two guys, there's three of them. Now they're walking along the beach a little bit farther. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and I love this, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Zebedee's like, hey, hey, what are you? So this is how Jesus starts this kingdom movement, this, this, this grand mission he's come down for. God in the flesh is taking a walk on the beach and calling some fishermen to join him. And of all people, fishermen? Now, I've got to be careful here because, you know, I am in River City, you know, the salmon capital of Alaska, maybe the, the world. And, and, and in our context, you know, of commercial fishermen or a guide, they can make some coin, right? Maybe not like we used to be able to. But, but, but understand that in first century Israel, these, these fishermen were seen as the lower class. They were stinky. They, it was hard work. It was, it was not, in fact, Cicero, the, the Roman philosopher, he said that the, the fishermen, it was one of the most shameful occupations that there was to be had, working with your hands, kind of on, on that blue-collar level. Now, if, if I'm walking around Soldatna and I'm going to start a kingdom, who am I going to pick, right? Again, I would, I would go with people who have some, some clout. I would, I would go to the borough assembly, right? Maybe I'd try to pick someone with some, some political standing. Or maybe I'd try to find some, some rich business owners, right, who, who can get some things done. I go to Blair Martin, Diamond M Tycoon, right, get him on board with me, right? What I, I mean, and, and I'm going to, I mean, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I'm not going to the assembly line at McDonald's, right? I'm not calling the guy holding the cardboard sign at Fred Meyer. God loves them, but those are not the members of my posse as I develop my little empire. I'm not going to those kind of people. But here's Jesus, his first four followers. A third of the people who are going to follow him are these lowly fishermen. And then he calls a tax collector. And he calls these guys who, from a local perspective, were losers, essentially. And the next three years, he spends most of his time with these 12 nobodies as they follow him around. This is his method of using, of building the kingdom. And I think one of the reasons Jesus did this is because he, he wanted to use the weak to shame the strong. He wanted to use the lowly to shame those who thought we're, they were all that. So that there was no doubt where the power came in the gospel and in the building of this kingdom. So he calls these men, and, and this, is, this is what he's basically doing. His method is to make disciples. This is how Jesus is going to build his kingdom, how he's going to spread the word of who he is and what he's come to do. And I believe that this, this is the heart of what we've been called to do as a church, not attend a Sunday morning service, but to go into the world and make disciples. So, so let's spend some time here. What does it mean? What, what is a disciple? If we're going to make disciples, what is a disciple? We said a couple weeks ago to define a disciple as a, a learner or a follower. That's kind of what the, the word itself, the Greek word for disciple meant, was one who learns from another, one who follows another. The context, what they would have been thinking about at this time that it was written, was in the synagogues they had these rabbis, or another word is another word for a teacher. And these rabbis would have these disciples or these students who would learn from them. And it's don't think of our public school system today. It, this, they wouldn't just attend class with these rabbis. They would follow them around. They would kind of live life with them. Wherever they went, they, they would follow them. Uh, it was kind of this, this whole life together. And this is what they would have been thinking about at that time. And, and I believe that Jesus' definition 
of a disciple is in the invitation that he gives to these first four fishermen. And look at what he said to them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I think in here we see three aspects of what it means to be a disciple for them in that day and for us today. Now, uh, full, full uh, disclosure here, I'm ripping off some stuff from a, a book called Real Life Discipleship, a guy named Jim Putman. Uh, you can check it out. I, I'd encourage you to read that book. And he's going to break it down into three categories. To, to be a follower of Jesus is going to involve our head, it's going to involve our heart, and it's going to involve our hands. So let's look at the things that Jesus said a little bit closer. First thing he says is, come follow me. Come follow me. Now, what does this imply? If you're playing follow the leader, here, here's a picture of some cute ducks, right? If you're playing follow the leader, where is the follower positioned? In front or, or behind? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, it implies that, that he leads and that we follow. One of the basic definitions of what it means to be a disciple is, number one, a disciple follows Jesus. Where Jesus goes, I go. What Jesus does, I do. I follow him. He gets to lead, and, and I get to follow. And, and this is what he says in John 12. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. If you, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to follow me. You've got to let me lead, because my servants must be where I am. And here's the principle. To follow Jesus is to obey Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? It means that as the leader, he gets to tell us where to go and what to do. And this is the call. Look, this is not, this is not for the weak-hearted. He says that this, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, who's he talking to? His disciples. He says, if, if any of you, any of you who are my disciples, if you want to be my follower, if, if you want to follow me, then you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. He says, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to go my way, not your way. You see, for three years, Jesus called people to be his followers. And most of the people that he called did not follow him. There's only a few that did that. A few that followed him. And, and there were many reasons. And just like today, some of them didn't like what he said. Some of them didn't understand what he said. But on a deeper level, some of them were just too caught up with what was going on in their current season of life. Jesus, he didn't catch me at a good time, man. Got the kids, got this job. And for too many people, they loved money, or they loved their vocational ladder, or they loved whatever they were doing here on earth. And they decided to go that way than to give up their way and, and go his way. And the reality is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is not just our Savior. He didn't come just just to save us from our sins. He came as Lord. He, he came as leader, implying we are followers. He came as master, implying we are his servant, we are his slave. He, he's the boss, and we do what he says. And, and many people, it's easy for us to get it backward and think that, that, that Jesus follows us, right? That, that we've just got this little genie in our pocket, and, and he grants our wishes to make our life better. Jesus is here to give me what I need. And so I kind of walk around, and when I see something I want, I say, all right, Jesus, I need this, and he gives it to us. And that's the exact opposite position, picture of what he gives us as of being a follower of him. Am I willing to go wherever he says to go? Am I willing to do whatever he says to do? Am I willing to give up anything that he says I need to give up? Am I willing to, to put to death anything that he calls me to put to death? And listen, right now, today, 
He said, drop your nets and come with me right now. Even in the busy season of life. Listen, the disciples were not laying on a couch eating Doritos, watching Game of Thrones when Jesus said, come follow me. Okay, we got nothing better to do. They're in the middle of fishing season. If anybody knows how insane that is, it's us, right? Imagine coming up to someone, a fisherman, in the middle of July in Alaska and saying, drop your nets and follow me. The way that you feed your family, the way you provide your income, just drop it and let's go. Number one, being a disciple means following Jesus. It means, it means knowing that he is Savior and he is Lord. That he is our head. He is our authority. But it doesn't stop, never stops at the head level. Second thing, he says, I will make you. Let's look at the heart. The next thing he says is, I will make you. And what does that imply? Well, that implies that there needs to be a change, right? That implies there needs to be, there needs to be something created here that's not currently here. I need to make you something different than what you are right now. The second principle is a disciple is being changed by Jesus. Now, you might think it's easy, especially like for Peter, right? He gets picked first by Jesus. Jesus says, I want you. He might be like, yeah, he does, right? Jesus picked me, number one, right? I'm the first round draft pick of the disciple draft, right? I'm basically the LeBron James of the disciples. And Jesus starts to start thinking, Peter starts thinking, I'm pretty good. He must really like me. There must be some godly trait. There must be some, some good looks, some real potential that he sees in me. And that's why he's picking me. And Jesus goes, no, you're a stinky fisherman, right? Nobody likes you. Let's go, right? This is not why I've chosen you. You see, Romans 8 tells us what, what the purpose is, what Jesus has really, what God has called us into, and it's deep. He says in Romans 8, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. One of the things that God has chosen us to be, it's not just don't go to hell. It's I want you to become like Jesus. Why? So that I can have a bunch of kids, and I want my kids to look like Jesus. So, so he's going to conform us into the image of, of his son. His, his job here is not just to save people from hell, but to conform people into his image. Which, remember, back to creation, this was the original intent. He made the male and female what? In his image. We've been created to bear the image of God, and then we sinned, which means we marred, we mucked up that image so that we don't look like we were supposed to look. So Jesus came down as the direct image, the exact representation of God here on earth. And now as we are made into Jesus' image, we will start to look like we were supposed to look in the first place. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Listen, why, why would he want us to be like that? Well, remember Jesus' mission? It's not just to make the disciples, it's to glorify his Father in the making of these disciples. And listen, the more that we become look like Jesus, the more we accurately reflect his image. And the more we look like him, the more we will show the world how great he is. You see, what's the purpose of an image? It's to image, right? And what is it doing? Like, you think about the purpose of a statue. The statue is meant to give glory to its reality. So let's take, for example, Abraham Lincoln. You got this memorial, the Lincoln Memorial. And what's the purpose of this memorial? 
is to show how great Abraham Lincoln was, right? The kind of man he was, the kind of president he was. It's not just to show how great this statue is. No, it's pointing to the man the statue represents. And the the more accurate the the image of the statue, the more glory it gives to the original. And, And if there's anything that we know this last week or two, with everything that's going on in Charlottesville, we see exactly how powerful a statue can be, an image can be. And that's all we're getting into that, right? And so our purpose is to image. And listen, if you spend all your time following someone, you're going to start to look like them, right? What we behold, we, we become like. And so as we start to follow Jesus, we start to look like him. But I want to caution us here, because this is not just imitation. There's a lot of people out there trying to, to copy who Jesus is. And here's the problem with that, Okay. You take the most famous person that I know in our local area, okay? There she is, Allie. Allie Ostrander, right? Now, Allie, I, I can become a disciple of Allie, right? And I follow Allie wherever she goes. And I'm like, all right, Allie, I'm going to be just like you. And I'm going to wake up when you wake up. And I'm going to eat what you eat, okay? Probably some diet lettuce or whatever the runners need to eat. I'm going I'm to train like you train. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to enter the same race as you. I, I can do all of those things that Allie does, but guess who I will not become like? Allie, right? Not going to happen. That is a significant downgrade, right? Mom's got her hands over her eyes. I, I can try to imitate, I can try to copy Allie all day long, but I can't become like Allie. And here's what I want to caution us against. Our job as believers is not just to imitate Christ. That's why I've got a little bit of a beef with the WWJD thing. It's not just, here's what Jesus did, now try to do it yourself. Because I've tried that for a lot of years and fall flat on my face. We don't just try to imitate Jesus. Look at what 2 Corinthians says. We want to become like Jesus. This is how it happens. It says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And here's how it works. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is not just imitation. This is transformation. He's going to change us from the inside out. This is the Holy Spirit's work. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Frankino, right? This is not me. I'm not developing. This is him developing this in me. And as I behold Jesus, as I follow Jesus, this is the good work of the Spirit within me to make me more and more like Jesus. That's why he said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. Not, not you. I will make you. And what happens is he, as he starts to change us, we start to love the things Jesus loves, which will take us to our third point. A disciple is a disciple who follows Jesus, and it's a disciple is, is someone who's being changed by Jesus in our hearts. But the third thing is, he says, I want you to become fishers of men. Now, what he says here the third principle is that a disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus. The disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus. What's the mission of Jesus? Why did he say he came? What's the mission? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' mission is people. He came to this earth for people. And, and, and listen, a disciple is not just someone who follows Jesus and who is changed by Jesus, but a disciple starts to have a heart for the same thing that Jesus has a heart for. What was Jesus' heart for? To make disciples. And so our heart, as we follow Jesus and become like Jesus, is to make disciples as well. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. It becomes a reproductive dynamic. And when we spend time with Jesus, we can't help care about 
who he cares about. And those are people. I was at that conference this summer I was telling you about down in Ohio, and, and there was this message from one of our, our pastors in the, in the Grace Brethren Fellowship. His name's Jeff Bogue. He, he's from Ohio. And, and the task, the assignment he was given for his, um, for his session, he said, if you were to sit down at coffee with a young pastor, okay, like myself, and, and, they were t- and, and he was to ask you, um, what's the one thing I need to know about ministry? What do I need to know? As, as I'm launching in, into this, this thing of, of shepherding, what do I need to know? And he said several things, but, but he didn't even hesitate. And the, the first thing he said, first thing he said, was lead with evangelism. Lead with evangelism. See, discipleship, it starts with the unsaved, right? It starts with those who, who aren't following Jesus, who don't know Jesus. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't just mean, you know, conversion. But it starts with the unbeliever. And this word evangelism, remember it's evangelion, the same Greek root word as what? As gospel, as good news. So what does it mean to evangelize? It means to announce the good news. It means to tell this world that Jesus has come. The king came down to earth, and then he died on a cross, and he rose again. We're here to announce who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, have you ever wondered, why is it that we weren't snatched up to heaven the moment we were saved? Like, why did Jesus leave us here? As far as I see it, there's two things that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven. Maybe why he left us here. The first one is sin, and I don't think that was his intent. And the second one is to preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And I believe the reason he left us here on earth is for a task, a very specific task, to make disciples of all nations, to, to announce the good news to the lost So we've got to ask ourselves, am I fishing for men and women, okay, equal opportunity fishing? Am I fishing for men? And and he he asked this question, and I think we can get legalistic with this, but but this is a convicting question for me. He said, man, if, if your evangelism story, if the last time you shared Jesus with somebody who didn't know him, if your last evangelism story is older than six months, you're not fishing for men. Now, again, we're not getting into, well, every six months you got to, that's not where I, I intend with that. But the question is, am, am I, if, if I'm following Jesus, if I if I'm, have a heart for what he has a heart for, <laughs> and am, I, am I sharing Jesus with this lost world? I'm preaching that to myself, first and foremost. Now, listen, when people hear the word evangelism, we often freak out, right? Oh, man, I got to go door to door, pass out gospel tracts, knock and run, Right? I gotta go stand on a milk crate at the corner of Fred Meyer with a megaphone. Like, what does this mean? I don't know what to do. No, run, let's go to a different church. Maybe College Heights won't tell us to do this. But listen, I, I love uh, this guy, uh, Rick Warren. He's, he's a pastor in, in California, a church called Saddleback. It's actually our Celebrate Recovery program. This is where this originated. And this is one of the largest churches in the nation, uh, purpose driven life guy. And when he was asked, because this church is known for the ability to reach the lost and, and, and to reach out to unbelievers, and, and someone came to him and they said, Rick, Rick, what's your secret, right? Like, what's your program? Let us in. Like, give us the secret sauce, right? Tell us what it is that we need to do. What method do you use that we can use to, to do this evangelism thing? And he said, we don't have a formal program. We don't. We don't. And this, this, was, this was his word. He said, write down what you love to do most and then go do it. Okay, that's, that's pretty simple enough, right? 
This is what he said. Write down what you love to do most, then go do it with unbelievers. Do, do it with unbelievers. Whatever you love to do, just turn that into an outreach. He says you don't have to move to Africa. You don't have to go door-to-door knocking. You just do whatever it is that you love to do, and then do it with, with those who don't know Jesus. So, so if you're like Ian, and, and you love acting, then, then join up with the Shrek musical this spring, right? Get into the theater, right? Remember, that's how we said you have to say the, theater. Um, and share the gospel with those leftist, leftist heathens in the, the, the theater, right? Um, Jesus loves them too. Um, maybe you love hunting or fishing. And unlike me, I always say I live in Alaska, but I'm not a, a real Alaskan. Uh, but if you love hunting and fishing, go hunt and go fish and bring along a buddy, Right? No better chance to get to know them and share Jesus in that little stinky tent bunched up together in a sleeping bag for the week while you're hunting moose. Maybe you're, you're a mom and, and you're taking your kids to the park so they can run around and you can maintain your sanity. Do that with, with the neighbor and have her bring her kids. Do it together. You know, I've been, I was coaching for a long time and I stepped out of that, but I, the last couple of years I got back into, I, I'm calling uh, high school basketball games on, on the local radio station. And it's been this amazing opportunity to, get, to kind of pop my church bubble and, and, and make some friends who don't know Jesus. And I went down to Homer uh, and back with, with a guy who didn't know Jesus. He was trapped in the car with me, right? I got to know him, got, got, to, got to hear, and they always hear, what do you do? You're a pastor. Oh, boy, you know, they turn the radio up. Um, I got to talk to him. What, what, do, you, what do you believe? What do, you know, where are you at? And we got to share with each other. I get, to, I get to rub shoulders with coaches and refs and players and, and, and fans. This is an incredible opportunity. I, I'm, I'm a weirdo who on my day off, I'm an extreme extrovert. So on my day off, I, I go substitute at the local uh, elementary schools, right? Glutton for punishment. I just love being around people. But it's also, other than making some coin, because you guys don't pay me enough. No, I <laughs> and I go in there, and man, this is an amazing opportunity to spend time with these students, with the staff there, other teachers. I've been able to invite a couple of families there to, to our church. But whatever you're doing, whatever it is that you love doing, you enjoy, we don't have to be miserable as believers. Do whatever it is that you love doing, but, but use that as a, con- a context for what we've been called to by our leader to make disciples. See, at, at the heart of discipleship is, is relationship. Jesus, he discipled these guys for three years. They did life together. It wasn't just like he got together with them for a Sunday school class once a week. They, 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 they lived life together. They ate together. They slept together. They, 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 they walked around and, and did the same things that he was doing. That's discipleship, not just a, a Bible study, living together. And, and I love this because Jesus, this, the, the Pharisees, they, they called him, and this, this was a really derogatory term. They meant it as a derogatory term. They called him a friend of sinners. He said, man, why are you sitting at the table with the prostitutes? And the tax collector, the, these, these scumbags, these, these sinners, these gross people. He said, that's because that's why I came. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to be, to be friends with these people. These are the people I love. These are the people I want to have a relationship with the rest of eternity. That's why I've come. And discipleship is becoming like Jesus, which means that we too are to become friends with sinners. So let me ask you, do you have friends that don't know Jesus? Maybe friends of the rest of the world would kind of look at and go, you hang out with them? But man, if we're going to follow Jesus and, and do what Jesus does and, and love who Jesus loves, 
probably going to mean we're going to hang out with some folks that other people would, would maybe raise their nose at a little bit. So that's why we're here. So this is Jesus' method of building the kingdom, is to make disciples, those who follow him, those who are being changed by him, and those who are doing what he does, and that's making disciples who also follow and become like Jesus. This is what he came to do, and, and this is what I think the purpose of the church is. It's not just to come to a show on Sunday mornings. It's not what this is about. And if you're going, man, I'm just not getting enough out of church, well, <laughs> it's not because the worship's not good enough, and it's certainly not because I'm not a good enough preacher, right? Because what we've been called to is something deeper than just church attendance. It's to get out there and make disciples of this nation. And isn't that more exciting to be called into something like that? Well, here's the note I want to end on, because I think a key to being a disciple of Jesus is what he says in John chapter 14. He said, all who love me will do what I say. All who love me will do what I say. He says, if you love me, then you'll obey me. If you, if you love me, you'll, you'll follow me. If you love me, you'll start to become more like me. If, if you love me, you'll, you'll do what I do and call others to, to, to love me as well. See, if you're like me, you might know, if you grew up in church, you know how to do Christianity, right? That's not a problem for me. I can do Christianity. I got sparky jewels on top of sparky jewels, man. I, I, I was a youth group leader. I never miss a Sunday. Shh, last week, don't count that one. Okay, I, I can, and today I can crush a sermon. I can break down the gospel for you in four seconds flat, right? I, mean, I, I can do church, but Jesus didn't call us just to do church activity, just to do Christian activity. You know what he wants from me more than anything? It's a love relationship with him. And if I don't know him personally, and I don't love him passionately, then what in the world am I sharing with people? What am, I, what am I calling people into? Like, if I'm drawing from an empty well, if I don't know Jesus, if I'm not walking with Jesus, what do I have to offer the other people who, as I say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? First Corinthians, Paul says, man, I can do work. I, I can preach. I can, I can prophesy. I can sacrifice my body to the flames, die for someone else. Because if I don't have love, it's all gongs and symbols. It's nothing. And what I want to be known most for, it's not, man, he's a funny preacher. It's not, man, how successful Justin is. Look at, look at the church. Look at his growing. Look how moral he is. But I want to be no, most known for my love for Jesus. And I look around in my life, and there's very few people I'd say, when I think of them, the first thing I think about is how much they love Jesus. That's what I want the world to think of when they think of me. And as you grow more in love with him, you'll start to become like him. You'll start to do the things he does and care about the people that he cares for. And listen, the only, time to, the only way to stir that love for Jesus is to spend time with him, right? I mean, how do you, how do you stir love for, for, for your spouse or for your children, for your family and friends? You spend time with them, right? Are we, are we setting aside time, intimate time with Jesus in the mornings? Are we, are we, as we go throughout the day, are we in this conversation with him? Is he real to us? Like, if Jesus wasn't there today, would it make any difference in my life? And if there's no relationship there, if I'm not spending time with him, listening to him, speaking to him, how am I going to grow in my love for him? And we're going we're gonna to take communion here. And, and I love this time. This is one of the sweetest times to me that we do together. And this word communion... The Greek word is fellowship. It's uh, koinonia. It means fellowship. 
It means an intimacy, a, a relationship. And we're doing this together, so there's, a, there's an intimacy here as a body, but ultimately it's with our intimacy with Jesus. And, and you know, why do we, I think about like in terms of like an anniversary, why do we celebrate an anniversary with our spouse? It's, it's to remember, it's to set aside a time to, to think on and celebrate and enjoy our relationship with one another. Now, that's not, that's not the only time you're called to enjoy your significant other, but it's a, it's a special time, it's a unique time to celebrate that. And just like with Jesus, we're, we're called to enjoy him every day, but this is a unique time that we come together to be reminded of who Jesus is, of how much he loves us, and, and, and to look and to remember to reflect on this love relationship that we have with our Jesus.